0: It's been a challenging year, and Consumers Energy knows asking for assistance isn't always easy.
1: Thank you for calling the Assistance Center. How can I help you?
2: Hi, um, I just got my most recent energy bill, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay it. It's been a really challenging year, and I was just wondering if there's any help available.
0: If you need help with energy and other bills, call 211 or go to mi211.org. nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.
1: Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, Polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. If you'd like to know more about me and my political polling company, or you have any ideas for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. Today, we will talk about the first 100 days of Joe Biden's presidential administration. Our guests to discuss the Biden presidency are Charlie Cook, uh, founder and publisher of the Cook Political Report, and Kimberly Taylor Scott, who is the publisher of DemList. First, though, we're going to listen to the president talk about his goal of reaching uh, COVID vaccinations in the first 100 days of his presidency.
3: Back in December... I set a goal of administering 100 million shots — vaccine shots — in my first 100 days in office. (laughs) At the time, some told us that couldn't be done. It was awfully ambitious, but we did it in 58 days because of the incredible staff I have. And so I set a second goal to deliver 200 million shots in my first 100 days in office. The goal unmatched in the world or in prior mass vaccination efforts in American history. When tomorrow's vaccine and vaccination numbers come out, we will show that today we did it. Today, we hit 200 million shots in the 92nd day in office. <clears throat> 200 million shots in 100 days, in under 100 days, actually. It's an incredible achievement for the nation.
1: Our guest in this half hour is Charlie Cook, the founder and publisher of the Cook Political Report. Charlie is one of America's most prominent and shrewdest political observers. He also writes a column for the National Journal. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Charlie. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me on, Brad.
1: Okay, let's start with this. Uh, This is a big week for Joe Biden On uh, Wednesday, he gives a uh, address to a joint session of Congress. Uh, He also on Thursday will mark the 100th day of his presidency. Uh, Tell us in general uh, what you think about uh, Joe Biden, the first 100 days of Joe Biden's presidency.
0: I think we all have to say that we're a bit surprised. I mean, a lot of my progressive friends uh, a year ago were not uh, that excited. They thought that, uh, you know, they were hoping for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or someone like that, and that he would be kind of boring and kind of a centrist and very incremental, and he has been anything but that. Um, I mean, who would have thought uh, Joe Biden, I, uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree with what he's doing is bold. It's, it looks more like FDR's New Deal or Lyndon Johnson's Great Society uh, than it looks like sort of, uh, you know, a boring older white guy becoming president. Um, overall, though, in terms of his numbers, you know, there's certainly, you know, a whole lot better. I mean, obviously better than Donald Trump's, but that's obviously a low bar. Um, you know, he's averaging 53, 54% approval ratings in the Real Clear Politics and, and 538. Um, but when you break it out by issue, off the chart, spectacularly well on coronavirus. And on economy mixed between sort of a, a net single digits to net, I think the best I've seen is 10 or 11 approve over disapprove on the economy. And then immigration or immigration border security um, is just just horrific. Uh, and so that, that's sort of how it's, it's sizing up with with public opinion. Um, you know, but it, it has been a very, very different presidency than I think we all expected. And, uh, you know, this, things like this uh, is what keep you humble uh, in
1: this business. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I've been humbled a number of times in the many years I've been in this business. That's for sure. Well, let's explore the uh, the original uh, your thought about uh, uh, the novelty of Biden's presidency. I think everyone. Uh, well, just about everyone, uh, thought he would be, he certainly ran as a moderate, he ran as a centrist, especially in the Democratic primary, uh, but he turned out to be a a very activist president. Um, He's called himself, or at least he said he wanted to be a a transformational president. Uh, Why do you think things turned out this way? Why did he... uh, belie everybody's expectations of uh, what his presidency would be like.
0: You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, of, of you know, what the difference between what we've seen and what we thought. And, and here are a couple of different theories. One is sort of the new paradigm. You know, there's a feeling in the Democratic Party that the coronavirus and the economic fallout from the coronavirus has just changed everything and that people not only people's tolerance for but their expectation of government doing more may may be substantially larger than it was or than we anticipated and the polling is, is kind of mixed uh, some show little change from before when you ask the you know government should do you think government should do more to solve our, our uh, problems or that government's doing too many things best left to business individual? Uh, it has changed with a more activist. But whether it's a, a somewhat change or a, a larger change is a bit up in the air. You know, a second theory is, well, the Democratic Party has changed, that this party is not only a whole lot more progressive than it was under Bill Clinton, but it's a, it's a good bit more progressive than it was under Barack Obama. Um, I, I think a third thing, though, is that um, I think that there are some ghosts from President Obama's first term that are sort of hanging over this administration. There's a feeling that, number one, that the the stimulus package that President Obama pushed through in, 50, in, in 2009, that it was really too little. It wasn't nearly as big, as aggressive as it should have, and that they made compromises in order to try to get Republican support. That in the end, they got three Republican senators and zero Republican House members, but they watered it down. And as a result, the recovery coming out of that was just a lot weaker um, than, than than expected. Um, and there's also just sort of a lot of scar tissue of people that a lot of the people around President Biden were in the White House under, under Obama. And the feeling among a lot of those folks is it was a waste of time to try to negotiate with Republicans. They were never going to negotiate in good faith, and they just wasted a whole lot of time. And then the final theory is, and you notice in the news conference that um, the president's news conference week or two, two weeks ago, I guess, um, where he talked about he believed in, in fate. He was a big believer in fate and that. Um, You know, he knows he's 78 years old and turned 82 three weeks after the election. You know, he knows that, you know, 30 odd years ago, he had a couple of brain aneurysms. He knows, you know, lost his first wife and a daughter to a car wreck back in 1972. Um, Lost his son, Bo at 46. That maybe in life, you've got to do what you can when you can and don't hold back. And then the final is the Georgia theory that he was going to be incremental. He was going to do the sort of centrist route. But when Democrats won both those Georgia Senate race, seats uh, on January 5th and took a majority, they they basically like in football, they called an audible. They just changed the, changed the play right there on the line of scrimmage and went with a different approach than they might have uh, might you know, One might have expected them to do and that they probably expected to do. So it's probably some combination of several of those.
1: OK. Uh, today on Deadline DC, we'll be discussing the first 100 days of Joe Biden's presidencies. Uh, it's going to be a big week for him. Uh, Our guest in this segment is Charlie Cook, the founder and publisher of the Cook Political Report, uh, which in my mind is the preeminent uh, political uh, publication in the United States. If you want to keep up with the trends in American politics, there's certainly no better uh, way to do that than to read the Cook Political Report. Uh, We're going to be back with Charlie uh, after this very quick break uh, to discuss uh, more about Joe Biden and also the uh, Republican response to the first hundred days of the Biden administration. Uh, So please don't go anywhere. There's a lot more left in the show. Uh, with Charlie Cook and in the second half hour our guest will be Kimberly Scott who's the publisher of Demlist so uh, hang in there we'll be right back after this short message welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest is Charlie Cook, publisher of the Cook Political Report, which is the foremost uh, newsletter uh, and website uh, examining the ins and outs of American politics, and we're glad Charlie could take take the time to be on the show today. Charlie, you were talking about presidential job ratings when I so rudely interrupted you.
0: It used to be that People that there were honeymoons so that, you know, you had with uh, uh, President Kennedy had an approval rating among Republicans at this point of 63 percent and Eisenhower among Democrats of 64. And then we went through a period that was uh, of elected presidents, Nixon, Carter, Reagan, George H.W. Bush, where at this point, you know, they'd have a job approval ratings in the mid 40s among uh, among the opposition party. And then we went into the Clinton, George W. Bush, uh, Donald Trump era, or I'm sorry, and uh, 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 Clinton, George W. Where it'd be in the 20s, to late 30s, and now Trump was nine points, and Gal, and 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 Biden is 11 points, where there's practically nobody in either side willing to to sort of give any, the other side, any benefit of the doubt whatsoever. And the parties have just become so ideologically sorted that there's no crossover whatsoever.
1: So is there anything Joe Biden can do about that? Or is there anything anybody can do about
0: it? I think it's play for, play for independence. That we're in a time when Republicans are never going to, they would, if he said the sun was going to rise in the east, they would look west and and i mean that just is what it is and that democrats are going to be loyal to him and is playing for independence and you know they better hope that this the program they've got that it paces to create all the jobs and the stimulus and do all the good works it's intended to do but not overheat the economy because the problem is the economy right now it is picking up and it does look a little, it do looks be, like it's going in a better direction than it looked six months ago. So, you know, this is kind of like um, Goldilocks. I mean, they got to make sure it's, it's warm, it's hot enough, but not too hot. Uh, and, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But Democrats have, you know, as you know, they have no, very little margins in terms of the House and Senate. So not much can go wrong.
1: Yeah, not much can. Let me uh, ask you about the Republicans. Uh, they have been the opposition party uh, now for almost a hundred days. Uh, what is how have the Republicans uh, handled their opposition to Joe Biden in the first hundred days of his presidency?
0: Well, I mean, I think you're talking about two groups of people that are you know, they're in the evening. They're not watching. They sure as hell aren't watching CNN or CNN or MSNBC. And to be honest, they're not watching ABC or CBS or NBC. I mean, they're if they're not watching Fox, it's going to be Newsmax or One Nation or whatever the hell that thing is. Um, where in their world, you know, from what they're seeing, there is nothing Joe Biden is doing that's right. And so they, um, we just live in different media universes. Um, I I think some of the bloom is off the Trump rose with the Republican base, but not all of it at all. And one of the questions that's good to look at in the NBC, uh, new NBC news poll is they ask people, Republicans, do you consider yourself more a supporter of Donald Trump? a supporter of the republican party and those numbers were dead even going into the election and now it's about a 12 point gap between loyal to the republican party and loyalty to uh to donald trump and so he still has a lot of sway but on the edge i mean it's starting to 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 settle down a little bit but you know the republican party is not going back to where it was you know five six seven years ago that's not going to happen Uh,
1: Today in an interview, uh, Representative uh, Liz Cheney said that uh, Donald Trump wasn't the leader of the Republican Party. The leaders of the Republican Party were Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, uh, and Kevin McCarthy, the House minority leader. Is he whistling past the graveyard? Uh, It seems to me that uh, Trump can still make the Republican
0: Party jump at will. Well, if he if you see him getting into primaries next year, uh, you're going to see, and I'll use this term, you will see. You're, you may well see some pretty exotic uh, Republican nominees emerge in some of these races, which would be a gift to uh, from the heavens for, for Democrats. I mean, you remember in uh, Delaware and Missouri and Indiana, oh, where yeah, I mean, Christine where Republicans they, they just booted seats that they otherwise would have won. Does that happen? Yes or no. And so it's, you know, part of President Biden's fate, part of it's in his own hands, parts in the hands of the economy. And part is, do Republicans go off on this wild, you know, tear and nominate a bunch of nuts? Uh, Yeah, that's a
1: a great question. Uh, Well, let me ask you this question is the Republican party doing enough to build itself back, back up? Uh, it seems to me they've been very defensive, uh, re, you know, they, rather than expanding the Republican party, they've been trying to, uh, be a very, very defensive with new laws, uh, that restrict voting. Uh, are they doing enough to build themselves back up into, uh, a, a, a the prominent political force in this country or not
0: um you know there's certainly some substantial elements within the republican party that if they could go back to black and white television just get rid of color tv they probably would because things obviously were better back in the 50s in in that uh, in that uh, that that mindset um yeah, um They you're right. They are. I mean, what they're doing is they're alienating not only minority voters, but also younger voters. And and they're they're, you know, I I guarantee you, no decent political consultant is advising them to do this. Um, You know, this is organic. This is them. Um, And I think it's 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 a it's a horrible mistake. But they um, they. You know, I think Mitch McConnell put up with Donald Trump for a long time, and I think after Georgia, he holds Trump personally responsible for Republicans losing those two Georgia seats and control of the Senate. And for Mitch McConnell, that is an unforgivable thing. And so he is trying to kind of wrestle the party away from President Trump. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is trying to have it both ways. But the thing is, Trump President Trump has former President Trump has his fundraising list I mean that's what McCarthy and House Republicans want that's what they're dependent upon they 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 know he could raise he could raise a zillion dollars for a potted plant by midnight um and they either have access I think he to has already or or they don't And, um, you know, that's why, uh, uh, you know, there's a real division between Republicans who want their party to adapt to the future and those that just don't want that to happen. And uh, um, it's you know, I, I believe in the two-party system. And in once, when either side is trying their best to self-destruct, I don't think it's good for the system.
1: No, it is, and it's certainly not good for anybody. Charlie, uh, thank you for joining us on Deadline DC today. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC after these messages. Uh, and again, thank you to Charlie Cook, publisher of the Cook Political Report. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad Bannon, uh, we're going to uh, uh, start the uh, second half hour with a clip from President
3: Biden uh, talking about the diversity in his cabinet. Today I'm pleased to announce that such a nominee we have, Dr. Miguel Cardona. Like uh, other cabinet nominees and appointees, he's brilliant, he's qualified and he's tested. And He's going to join the Biden-Harris cabinet uh, and it's going to be a historic cabinet. Already, there are more people of color in this cabinet than any cabinet in the history of the United States. There are more women than ever. First openly gay cabinet member. It's a cabinet that looks like America. It taps into the best of America. That opens doors and includes the full range of talents we have in this nation.
1: Okay, that was, of course, President Biden. Uh, This half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communication Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. One of the most noteworthy events of of Joe Biden's first hundred days came at the start of his presidency, his appointments. The Biden administration is full of firsts, and it's very diverse. Biden's first choice for an administration position was the selection of Senator Kamala Harris to be his running mate. She became the first vice president on Inauguration Day. She is also the first woman to serve as second in command and the first person of African-American and Asian ancestry to serve in the position. There were two other noteworthy first on the top shelf of the Biden cabinet. Uh, Janet Yellen became the first woman to first serve as Secretary of Treasury, and Lloyd Austin is the first African American to preside over the Pentagon. Uh, Treasury and defense, along with justice and state, are first among equals in any presidential administration. And these ground breaking appointments were a clear statement of President Biden's commitment to groups who were a big part uh, ...of the nation and which played a pivotal role in his election. The Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce has estimated that most Americans will be people of color by 2044, which is less than a generation away. Demography is destiny and Biden's choices clearly proclaim that America's destiny is Diversity. You can read the rest of my column and all my columns in The Hill at slash brad bannon Our guest today in the second half hour is Kimberly Scott. Kim is publisher of DemList and the editor of Dem Democrat Dem Daily, a political column dedicated to educating and informing the public about the Democratic Party, policy and politics. Sign up for the column is at www.demlist.com, the Twitter handle is The Dem List, and I uh, strongly advise you to sign up for Demlist. List. It's, uh, I read it every day, uh, and it's a great way of keeping informed about the Democratic Party, uh, its vision, its policies, and its future. Kim, welcome to Deadline DC. How are you doing today?
2: Great. It's a beautiful day on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC.
1: Uh, I'm glad of that. Uh, okay let's uh, let's start with this uh, this is a big week for Joe Biden uh, on Wednesday he's giving an address to a joint session of Congress uh, and on Thursday Thursday marks the 100th day of his presidency I should also uh, Uh, say that when he addresses Congress on uh, Wednesday night, it will be the first time there will be two women sitting behind the president as he addresses a joint session of Congress. Uh, The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and Vice President Kamala Harris, which is, uh, you know, which is an historic first. Uh, let's talk about the uh, diversity in the Biden administration. It seems to me Joe Biden's gone a long way into uh, making this a different cabinet, the proverbial cabinet. And this cabinet really does look like America. Uh, Women, uh, African-Americans, Latino-Americans, Asian-Americans, Uh, what has the diversity in Joe Biden's cabinet uh, done for America?
2: Well, for one, it gives them faith in the president and his administration. He and Kamala Harris promised that they would appoint a cabinet cabinet that is reflective of the country and the diversity of the country, and they have. It's 55% uh, non-white. It's 45% women, Um, as you pointed out you know, the, uh, the representation, uh, is, is exactly what he promised. You know, you've got Deb Holland, who is the first female American Indian. Uh, you've got Javier Becerra, Martha Fudge, Pete Buttigieg, who's openly gay. Uh, Biden has gone to great lengths to deliver on his promise. And none is more evident than the fact, as said, we, On Wednesday night, standing behind him, before he even says a word, we get into the accomplishments of the 100 days, he has behind him the first female vice president and Nancy Pelosi, the speaker.
1: And the first female speaker and the only female speaker so far.
2: And her third time.
1: Well, that raises an interesting question, Kim. Uh, This is a nation that is deeply divided. Uh, it's deeply divided by race. Uh, uh, it's deeply divided by uh, color. Uh, it's probably deeply divided by a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, what can Joe Biden do as president to bring this nation together? He's done a lot for this country already. Uh, the economy's starting to pick up. Uh, the pandemic is beginning to recede. Uh, But his biggest challenge, it seems to me, is bringing some calm and normalcy to this country. Uh, What can Joe Biden do as president to heal a divided nation?
2: Well, I think he's been he is on the road there. You know, this is he has made some um, significant accomplishments in those first hundred days. Naturally, the first subject at the top of the list as is evident by polling i think 69 percent approval rating for how he's delivering on the coronavirus um, that is most immediate and it affects people of all ages and backgrounds uh, that the assurance that he has given um in the aftermath or i should say in the ongoing crisis of the of the Coronavirus has been given through legislation. Um, he has been able to deliver up to $1,400 stimulus checks, stimulus checks to individuals, making it um, the stress and the economic burden lightened. There are more who are um, today under less of an economic burden um, than there have been when Biden took office. His one million jobs are back, um, and he also has done things that help restore faith to our international reputation, like re-signing the Paris Climate Accord. Um, now, all that being said, at the same time, there is still a wave of, I think, anxiety uh, anticipation across the country that is fueled in the wake of four years of Donald Trump and the racial divide that has become even greater um, as a result of those four years. Um, and it's being tested regularly. Uh, you know last night, I was watching the Oscars, and <clears throat> which is usually a forum for, uh for hollywood to express their political opinions where of course in the last four years it's been trump
1: yeah i'm gonna uh, we're gonna go to break now but we come back uh you can we can continue uh discussing the oscars because i think it was a meaningful uh political event last night uh we're going to break now but we come back we'll have more of deadline dc with brad bannon Our guest in this half hour is Kimberly Scott, who is the founder and publisher of Demlist. So you'll be sure to want to come back because we still have a lot of great show for you in the second half hour. Okay, welcome back welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Kimberly Scott, who is the uh, founder and publisher of DemList, which is a great way to be inf- keep informed about Democratic Party politics uh, and uh, policy. Uh, and the personalities in the Democratic Party, and there are a lot of personalities in the Democratic Party. Uh, if you're one of our radio listeners and you'd like to watch the show, uh, please go to www.periscope.tv uh, front slash Brad Bannon and you can uh, watch us as well as listen to us. Uh, anyway, uh, we were talking before the break, we were talking about the Oscars. Uh, Kim, the uh, big winner, I should point out, the big winner last night was a movie I know we've both seen, uh, Nomadland. Uh, the uh, director uh, was the first woman of color. Uh, to win an Oscar for best director, uh, the movie Land won, uh, best picture, uh, Frances McDormand, who is the lead actress, won the best actress, uh, Oscar. So it was a big night. Uh, but it seemed, you know, it seemed to me, uh, first of all, it was a great picture. I think it was very well made. Uh, it was very bleak, which I think reflects the times we live in sadly, Uh, But it's also about, uh, you know, a woman who's uh, displaced uh, by a bad economy. Uh, She loses her husband. She loses the town she lives in. She loses uh, her own home. And she goes on the road. Uh, but it seemed to me it was, uh, you know, a very strong political statement about the people, uh, you know, at the lower end of the economic uh, scale who have been displaced uh, by the economy in the last decade.
2: Absolutely, um, and, and that is it's not unlike um, the messages that came out of those that were the top nominees, uh, they are. There were a slate of films that were more profound that um, appealed to our personal experiences and personal hope um, as well. They were not big blockbusters in there. It's a uh, it was a different kind of year. But again, you know, throughout the and that, those kind of sentiments were reflected throughout the whole evening. It wasn't so much this that there that there were. There was the brunt of jokes, there were not, um, you know, political statements about individuals. It was about events, it was about happenings, it's about what we've been through. And quite honestly, as always, how movies are able to help connect us, particularly when we're apart.
1: Okay, uh, let's uh, try something else. I want to talk about a couple events. Uh, from last week, of course, probably the big news story last week was the conviction of uh, former police officer Derek Chauvin in the murder of uh, George Floyd. Uh, It seems to me, uh, well, first of all, uh, do you think uh, that the conviction of uh, Chauvin uh, will uh, lead Uh, to uh, a change uh, in police violence against African-Americans. Pretty much every week you read a story about a young African-American who is killed uh, by a police officer. It's become an epidemic. Uh, Do you think the Chauvin trial will uh, lead to a change in the relationship between African-Americans and their local police departments?
2: I, you know, I certainly hope so. Um, this, you know, watching the Chauvin trial, and I tried not to watch it in great length, but I know that, you know, people all across the country, all across the world, were glued into that trial um, to see an outcome. And, and much as there have been, you know, ever significant events in our our history, we'll always remember. We'll remember the day that verdict came down. Um, you know, is was the nation on a precipice, waiting for that, and again waiting for what message that kinds of sin, yeah. that that verdict would send? And I know in the the House and the Senate, the House has passed legislation on police reform, um, and they're working on a compromise now in the Senate between um, Senator Tim Scott, the only African American Republican senator and Cory Booker from New Jersey are working with Karen Bass, who was the sponsor of the House legislation, to try to come to some kind of compromise on police reforms. Um, and, but even at the speed of which it went through um, and the focus on it now nationally, uh, I think guarantees that there will be some level of reform. Will it appease everybody? We'll have to see.
1: Yeah, nothing pleases everybody in this day and age, unfortunately. Uh, Today, there's news on that front. Uh, This morning, the new attorney general, uh, Merrick Garland, announced that the Justice Department uh, would be investigating the behavior of the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department uh, in the death of uh, Breonna Taylor. Uh, who was uh, killed in a police raid on our our residence uh, last year. Uh, I guess I should also say uh, on Friday, uh, Attorney General Garland also announced there would be a DOG investigation into a previous uh, incident uh, of Officer Chauvin uh, mistreating a uh, young black offender. So it seems to me the uh, Biden administration is on top of this thing. Uh, What do you think the Biden administration can do to heal the racial divides in this country? Or can it do anything? Uh, It just seems that, you know, I always hoped I had this sort of misplaced confidence when Barack Obama was elected not only once, but twice as president. We were on our way to a new golden era of race relations. That didn't work out very well, uh, partly, I think, because uh, Donald Trump uh, rolled back a lot of the progress uh, that Barack Obama had made. But what can Joe Biden do to heal the racial wounds in this country? Or is there anything he can do to do it?
2: Hey, absolutely, believe he can, and it, it's it started again with a diverse cabinet and and delivering on his promise. Uh, I think the most effective thing that he's done with all of this so far is transparency. So, um, and and in most issues, um, you know, he's very out front about where the administration stands, um, the efforts that they're trying to make. He is clearly in this case, trying to keep a, a balance and where he is not stepping in like Trump did before with his justice department or ruling from the top down. Uh, it is, uh, as police reform legislation is a good step in the right direction. Um, but I, I think it is a matter of being totally uh, transparent with the American public um, and hearing them, hearing them. But it's, now, one of the things to, him to lead.
1: Yeah, and no, I hope he can do it. Uh, you know, it's uh, it'd be interesting to see because uh, I think this is you know you got your you got a bad economy, you have got a deadly pandemic, but it seems to me healing the racial wounds in this uh, country is right at the top of the list. Uh, let me ask you briefly, this is probably our, my last question, Kim. Uh, Walter Mondale, the former uh, vice president uh, to Bill Clinton and the Democratic presidential nominee in 1984, uh, died last week. What can you say about Walter Mondale and his contribution to American politics?
2: Well, I I to call him the memoriam to him. Uh, which can be found on dimless.com, but he was a statesman um, and the kind which we we can hope to see again in our future. You know, his, his service through the Senate as vice president, as ambassador, uh, few, very few, as Biden said, individuals, political figures, have ever been so respected. And I think one of his passing, one of his last actions before passing. Um, says the most about him, and that was that he sent an email to roughly 350 of his former staffers, staffers, staffers standing, standing for decades, saying goodbye, goodbye, and thanking them, thank you thank them you for, you for being them. a part of, part of this journey.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, it was a uh, active class like the man himself. Uh, Kim, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon today. Uh, I want to thank both our guests, uh, Charlie Cook, who is the publisher of the Cook Political Report, and of course, Kimberly Taylor, the publisher uh, of DemList. That's it for Deadline DC today. Uh, Make sure you listen to Leslie Marshall. She'll be back tomorrow. Uh, be safe and be strong in these troubled times. Make sure you turn into Deadline DC Monday, every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon.
0: It's been a challenging year. And Consumers Energy knows asking for assistance isn't always easy.
1: Thank you for calling the Assistance Center. How can I help you? Hi. Um, I just got my most
2: recent energy bill. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay it. It's been a really challenging year. And I was just wondering if there's any help available.
0: If you need help with energy and other bills, call 211 or go to mi211.org.
1: DoorDash is excited to be the official on-demand delivery platform of the Detroit Pistons, offering fans fast and flexible ways to earn. With DoorDash, you can choose your own hours, make your own schedule, and be your own boss. It's a win-win-win! Sign up and deliver in Detroit before the regular season is over, and you could win a new car! Get started at pistons.com slash dash. That's pistons.com slash dash. No purchase necessary.
0: Michigan residents 18 and up only. It's 5 17, 21 Rules? Visit pistons.com slash dash.